Welcome to Hello Governor the Podcast. I'm Abdullah and you know what? I, I'm not gonna do the intro because this does not feel real to me. Cause um boy, like how 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 you know I, I don't want to sound disingenuous because you know you hear this a lot Too late. nowadays. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. No, because you hear this a lot where it's like, oh I I I would I never thought in a million years I would ever talk to so and so. But I honestly can't believe I'm really talking to April Winchell. Like, like, you are one of the coolest fucking people on the planet. Oh, my God. That is amazing to hear. You know, it's so funny because I, I, you know, you do this for years and years and years. And you do it in a booth where no one can see you. And you just, after a while, you kind of forget that anybody's listening, you know? And you just, it just feels like this completely insular thing where you go to a building and there's somebody sitting on the other side of the glass and uh and then you make funny voices for an hour or two hours and then you leave and you you just like you forget and then somebody meets you or talks to you and they're excited and you're like what you heard that you you kind of forget you know it's not like working in front of a live audience where you get feedback and use and plus you're never nobody ever recognizes you so I, I'm always surprised when people act like they're, you know, that they're impressed or interested. Cause I'm like, well, okay, that's great. You know, but really? Because you have like, to me, I, I wanted to, to like, this is the weirdest thing I've noticed. And, 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 you know, stop me if I'm, if it sounds like I'm blowing smoke out of my ass, but <laughs> y- you have done like, you know, when, when people say, Oh, this person is a Disney legend. I, I always find that, you know, bullshit because it's like yeah, yeah. I, you know disney legend should only be reserved for people who have fucking earned that title yeah yeah have earned that title because you have well thank you that's really really nice to hear thank you, you. Are, i really appreciate that you have been clarabelle cow for 26 years and counting long time long time yeah you have been in every and i counted it i did my fucking research <laughs> good for you single disney afternoon show yeah i would that was really like a great time i was in everything i was in all those shows and i thought they were all really good you know i really liked them it's not always good you know the stuff you do is not always good sometimes you do it and you're like good and then you try to forget because you're embarrassed but that but you know everything on that in that block was great they did a lot of really good shows back then they still do but that was a nice block yeah no um i grew up with shows like darkwing duck and duck Mm -hmm. tales and and yeah, I was recess. Kind of... Did you watch recess? Oh, recess. I got I got to mention this one real quick. Uh, the box okay. episode fucked me up. <laughs> I don't even remember what we're talking about. Oh, the it box. Was... That's right. That's right. Okay. I got confused. There's also a, a wander over yonder episode about a box. And I got mixed. Up. Yes. I know what you're saying. Yeah. That was problematic for you. You had some therapy or what happened? No, it was, it was, it was psychological torture yeah. before I realized what psychological torture <laughs> was. And I'm like, oh, it's such a good show. I love no, that show. No, it was so great. And and there was the episode where they got Tim Curry, you know, to play the oh, bad he's, guy. Man, is he a great guy? Yeah. And, he's such uh, a great guy. And what I love about that episode is that, you know, if you go back and watch that episode, his character is basically a fucking Nazi. And 
<laughs> I met him. Uh, well, the first time I met him was a really long time ago when uh, Virgin Interactive was starting to do CD-ROM games. It was all the rage. And uh, they asked me if I would do, um, if I'd direct the talent, because I had been doing advertising. I do, I had done a lot of voice direction. So they asked me if I would do the game. And I said, yeah, sure. I would love to do it. And so we had like Dom DeLuise, you know, they were like saying, could we get people? Could we, I'm like, you know, if you're willing to pay and you're a virgin, you can get anyone you want. And they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. Could we get Tim Curry? I'm like, I sure. Why not? You know, I didn't know for sure, but I figured. So, you know, we made all these offers and everybody said, yes, we had an amazing cast and that's where I met him. And he was so much fun. It was called Toonstruck was the name of the game. And uh, it was Tress McNeil and uh, me and Tim Curry and Dom DeLuise and uh, I can't remember who, I think Kath Susie might've been great cast, you know? And then the next time we worked together was on Mighty Ducks, this, the animated series, Mighty Ducks. Did you ever see that? Oh, I was just about to say, yeah, you guys worked on Mighty Ducks. And yeah. I love how that show only lasted for like one one season. One season. Yeah. But, Do you know and Brad Garrett it, was in that? It's great. I mean amazing no, no. people. That show had the best villain cast. It was Tim Curry, Frank yeah. Welker, uh, yeah. Corey, uh uh what's his name? Corey Shit. Burton. And not Corey Burton. Uh uh Lex Luthor. What's his name? Oh God. Uh Kurgan. What's his name? from no, Islander. damn it uh forgot his name but all right but, uh, <laughs> i did too <laughs> but uh no it had the best villain cast in yeah any animated show and Tony it really Jay. did yeah Tony yeah Jay yeah well. and yeah I'm like oh god yeah I don't make them like this anymore that was the most i think maybe the most fun i ever had on a show except for wander over yonder which is really fun but um Mighty Ducks was one season and we were all out of our fucking minds. We were insane. We were, we would bring water guns and we would scream at each other and do, and people, everybody was so talented. People would do crazy impressions and just break out. You know, we, it just got very competitive, like who could make you laugh. And it was such a good time. And um, so we finished it. It didn't get picked up. And I was really sad about it because I really enjoyed it. And I got a call a couple, I've told this story before. I think it's really funny. I got a call a couple of weeks after we wrapped that said, um, Hey, we need you to come in and do some uh, pickups. And that's pretty common. You know, when it does, it was early though. Usually they've gotten the, the, um, the animation kind of sketched out before they need to start changing. You know, sometimes the animation will come back and there's a lip flap. It's not matching. And so you have to sort of slide the dialogue around or that sort of thing. But this was before they started animating it. So um, they said, we need you to make some changes. I said, all right. So I come in and they said, yeah, we can't say uh, duck world which is where all of this happened, right? And I said, why not? And they said, well, because legal didn't get the clearance for it, so we can't say it. And I said, well, what are we going to say? They said, we're going to say puck world, like hockey puck. I said, okay. So I had to go through all 13 episodes and change duck world to puck world. And I got paid for all 13 episodes again. So that's like two seasons. That was really exciting. And then a couple of weeks later, they call me back and they go, could you come in? We got to make some changes. I said, yeah, I go in and they go, yeah, we can't say Dragonus, which was Tim Curry's character. I said, why not? They said, we didn't clear it with legal, so we have to change it. So we had to go back for all 13 episodes and call him Dr Draconis. So there's another 13. I got paid for 36 episodes and they only did 13. That was a, that was a boondoggle. That was awesome. Oh, uh, 
uh yeah what, what was his name uh clancy brown clancy brown clancy <laughs> i love clancy uh he is one of my favorite brad garrett clancy and tim curry are like three of my all-time favorite people and they're just clancy is so funny Clancy shamed me into having my, my a knee surgery because I'd hurt myself and I was hobbling around for weeks. Right. And I come into the studio and he goes, what'd you do to your knee? And I said, oh, I tore my meniscus or something. And he goes, well, you going to have surgery? I was like, nah, no, he goes, oh yeah. He goes, I'm sure it'll get better by itself, which, you know, it never would. And I was like, God damn it. All right. So I had to go and have surgery because he shamed me. He's a pretty tall dude, by the way. I keep forgetting. He's so good how tall he is yeah brad too brad's huge brad's like six eight or something like that yeah no i keep forgetting how tall they are because it's like yeah. you just see them you know pictures of them but if you just see them standing next to someone shorter than them and it's like oh oh yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting yeah oh, brad's yeah, you were you were brad's the huge. yeah <laughs> brad here's a little trivia for you uh brad actually performed the wedding ceremony when i married my husband at the MGM Grand uh, in Vegas, like eight years ago. <clears throat> it was, I, he said, how, how blue can I get? How dirty can I work? I said, say whatever you fucking want. I don't care. You can be dirty. You can insult people. And he came into this chapel and everybody was sitting there waiting for the wedding to start. And he came in and he was hilarious. He put everybody down. He, he was so funny. And they kept playing, um, La Vie and Rose over and over and over again, because I didn't think it was going to go that long. And we only paid the pianist to play one song. He's doing like, you know, like an hour of stand-up and just being hilarious. And he goes, could you play something else? And I said, Brad, that's all we paid for. And he takes a 20 out of his wallet and he throws it at her. He was so funny. Oh my God. He was hilarious. I said, I said, bring a book to read out of, because you know, that's what they always do at weddings. They said the person who's performing the ceremony always brings a book and a book that's important to you. He said, okay. So we get to that part of the ceremony, he takes this book out of his pocket and it's poker for dummies. And he starts reading about, you know, how to bet what your hand is. He, it was great. It was, it's one of the few wedding videos that you actually want to watch. You know, it's really funny. No, oh, um, it, it's, it's so weird to me looking back at that, at that period in time, because mm-hmm. got so many people came and went and it's yeah. just, it's not like now now it's just i don't know now it's like let's just get let's just hire whatever fucking celebrities yeah popular, yeah and it's just, yeah it's that started to happen that started happening in like 2006 is when i first noticed it the movie robots with uh ewan mcgregor and i don't i mean it's like you know renee zellweger is the mailbox and it was al roker is the mailbox and, the, and then A Shark's Tale, which was the De Niro one, which he said, oh, yeah, I want to make it because my kids can't see any of my movies. I'm like, oh, oh, well, that's great. You know, do that. And then, you know, you're looking at the credits. There wasn't one like journeyman voice person at all. And it was, it was you could feel the tide turning, you know, and it was a little depressing. And um, I it's kind of like Broadway in a way. There are people who've worked their whole lives on Broadway who are Broadway stars, who are really talented, who are amazing in that genre. And then they do Grease with Rosie O'Donnell. Or, you know, it's like, if you've ever been on TV, you can star in a Broadway show. And it just kind of cheapens the whole thing a little bit, I guess, but I could be biased. But, um, you know, I, I've worked in so many sessions where voice people have just blown my mind. 
you know, where they have all the extra parts left over and they say, you know, hey, Jeff Bennett, can you do this? Yeah, sure. And it goes through like nine different voices. Yeah, do that one. Hey, Jim Cummings, can you play? The- yeah, sure. And he goes through nine. And it's just a different world, you know? And then you work with people who are famous and they're just, they only do themselves, a lot of them, or they're, you know, some people are great, really, really talented, but some people are like, when I did, um, when I did Ants, I had a few small parts in Ants. They had me do all of the scratch tracks for Anne Bancroft because she didn't want to come in and, you know, go through it. So I did all this, the scratch tracks and they directed me and then they gave it to her and say, match this. So it was like, well, okay, you know, but I get it. You have to have a celebrity in your movie, I, I guess, but it does, you know, it's funny. You see so much content getting produced, but there's less and less opportunity. So it's just, uh, it's interesting to watch. I just really hate that, especially during the social media age, like it feels, you know, it puts pressure on people to become their own brand. And yeah, I hate that. I really I do, do. Too. It's like, be a person, be a fucking person, please. Yeah, I, I, hate I agree. This. I hate because it's so disingenuous because like I can see through like I've been doing, you know, this show since like 2019. And mm-hmm. believe me, I see through the bullshit, you know, last yeah. year. Last year, especially, I, I see through people's bullshit and it's like, you know, you have no idea like how how disingenuous like half this industry is like, you know, you hear about, oh, well, everyone's so nice and no one's backstabbing and, and blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. I know a lot of people are very disingenuous and and fake. And what's annoying is that when they finally you know, say something stupid, everyone pretends to be so shocked. It's like, oh, I can't believe so-and-so would say this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they've always been like that. They've always been yeah. like that. It's like, why are yeah. you so pretending to be shocked? Yeah. I've all, I've always thought that social media really destroyed um, celebrity. And, and what I mean by that is that there used to be kind of a, there was something very special about uh, celebrity, actors, artists, whatever, there was something special that they were not accessible and it made it a little more magic, you know, and there was something about the, there was like a whole vicarious pleasure of how do they live and what's it like at home. And I think that's part of the reason why like shows like Carol Burnett and other shows like Saturday Night Live, where they, well, that's current, but shows where they made each other laugh. You kind of loved it because you got, felt like you got a glimpse into their private lives and their actual relationships. And it was exciting. You felt like you were getting let in on something. And then social media, it's like, you know, look what I ate today. And nobody fucking, you know, it just ruins everything. It ruins, it just ruins, it takes all the magic out of it. You know, I, I feel that way. It's too, too much access. It just breeds contempt and, and, uh, and then you get actors who have no people who are really famous and successful who are completely tone deaf, like that whole, uh, all those celebrities singing Imagine during the, beginning of the pandemic and the people like people like Ellen DeGeneres going, well, you know, I'm home too. And she's like, that's 40,000 square foot house with a pool and a staff. It's like, I, there's, I don't want to know, you know, I don't, I don't have to see everything. It makes me feel, it feels a little more special to me if I can um, hold you in some esteem, you know, and not be looking at your shoes. And, and this is going to sound like, you know, I, I I don't care how people interpret this, but this is like how how I how I on I honestly feel. But when it comes to a lot of people I grew up watching, I am 
so relieved that, um, you know, you never became that, you never became a sellout because I honestly don't know like what I would do if, if, um, you don't think I'm a sellout. <laughs> I mean, I say that's, that, but I mean, that's fantastic. Because like, here's the thing is like, you can, you can be on all these Disney shows and, and what have yeah. you. And believe me, I have my own criticisms of Disney and sure. the way handle things. Yeah. But, but what I like about you is that you were, you are still the same person you were like 20 plus years ago. Like when it comes to the, that not give a fuck attitude and just, I'm going to be me and I don't care if that. Yeah. I thank you. I appreciate that. I, I've always sort of, you know, I'm my, my late ex-husband used to have a, a saying he used to say, good things happen to people who don't give a shit anymore. And I thought that was so interesting because if the minute you don't, you really, you can't play at it. You have to really be somebody who you, who can't be hurt, can't be touched. You know what I mean? And as soon as you get that, it's, it's a whole other world. Like I say, no, if I don't like something, if I'm embarrassed by it, I don't want to do it. I say no. And not everybody's in that position, especially starting out. I mean, I did a lot of shit in the beginning that I, you know, wish I hadn't done or, but, but, you know, you learn from everything, but it's a, it's a real freedom to be able to say, you know, you know, and then, and then there are a lot of people who are really have one success and they're just married to that forever. And I always feel like when it's not fun anymore, don't, don't do it. You know, I'll have another idea. I don't, I don't have to clutch on. I had a very, very successful website about 10 plus years ago called Regretsy. And it was a, um, have, did you ever see that? Or do you know about that at all? I was a huge fan of that. And I had no idea that that was you, that like you were. Yeah. The, I was bored. The mastermind to tears. Beyond the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was really bored and I thought it was a funny idea. And I was really tired of the whole DIY movement, but more, more than that, I was really tired of their, the, the um, pyramid scheme aspect of it, that they were just taking all this money from people who would never sell anything. And I just thought there was something creepy about it. It reminded me of like acting teachers who sell you lessons because they, you might meet a casting director and you, they know you won't, you know, it just felt very exploitive. So I did this and it got like wildly unexpectedly successful. Like I, in 72 hours, I had 92 million hits. I got a book deal. It was, I mean, it was not what I was planning to do. And um, when it stopped being fun, I stopped doing, I just didn't want to do it. And people are like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? It's a, you could do, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I, I don't want to, I just don't want to. There's a, a real freedom in just walking away from stuff when it's not suiting you. So I, you know, I like that. I like that. I'm able to do that. I think I've, I think that's, I'm kind of like my dad in that respect because he was really, really, really talented and he could do anything. And when he didn't want to do something anymore, he didn't. And I like that. I respect that. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of wish more people did that because it's like, you know, you don't have to like, stop pretending like you're a celebrity. First of all, like stop pretending <laughs> that, you know, like, like this is what annoys me. It's like, stop pretending like just because you, you get paid money to sign fucking autographs of a character you voiced, like what, how many years ago Yeah, that that, yeah. that, that means something it, it doesn't yeah. like it, it, it doesn't, it, it fucking it doesn't. doesn't. And it doesn't. But that goes back to what I said in the beginning of this. I'm always so surprised when somebody is, um, you know, expresses some interest in meeting me or having enjoyed, you know, like wants my autograph or something. And I'm like, really, I can't, it's very hard for me to get my head around it, especially because I'm not, I'm really, I've never been in any of the hip shows, you know, I've never been in any of the like adventure time or, 
you know, like the cool, the cool shows. And so I don't, I feel like nobody cares, but then I forget that people grew up with it or, you know, it was meaningful when they were children or young people. And then I, I mean, I'm always grateful. I'm just, I'm perpetually surprised when somebody is, uh, expresses some interest and excitement. I mean, you say that, but Wander Over Yonder was a huge hit that unfortunately shouldn't have lasted a lot longer. Than I it agree. Did. It was a great show. There were so many good people on it and Tom Kenny and Keith Ferguson and, and Jack, Jack McBrayer, who's just hilarious. So <laughs> Jack used to say he has this expression that he uses that's like, you don't know if it's a compliment or an insult, you know, and I love that. I love that kind of stuff. And you would do something and you didn't really know how it would go over. And he'd look at you and say, well, aren't you something? <laughs> it's just so neutral. Like, well, what's that? It's a compliment or what do you, he, uh, he's awfully funny. I like him a lot. No, I, 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 I said this before in, in a previous episode, but um, that was a show that I think should have lasted a lot longer because I don't use the word genius a lot because again, that's another word that I think gets thrown around that, that, that means nothing if you're, if you're not, if, you know, if you're not being genu- genuous with it, mm-hmm. but I, I do think Craig McCracken is a genius because I do too. I do too. He is one of the few people in the industry who always keeps moving the needle forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you just said a minute ago, how the people who don't seem to really, who don't get stuck you know, who don't give a fuck, who just want to do something different, who have an idea and they push till they get it and they don't compromise. And sometimes you're, it's great. Sometimes it's not, but if we didn't have people like that, you, you just would never make any progress, you know, it'd just be the same shows over and over and over again. And it's like, I always say, everybody loves a new idea provided somebody's already done it. It's really hard for people in a position to green light stuff at studios. It's very hard for them to jump on board with something that's really um, challenging or risky. And that show is not, was not cookie cutter anything. That was really different. And um, I, I, you know, if he hadn't done it, then I've seen shows since then that kind of, like you say, move the needle a little bit. And I don't think that would have happened without that. So I like those people who blaze a trail. I think it's important. We, we desperately need that as well, because I think, you know, we're in a position where again, you know, companies are starting to realize, well, everything has to be for streaming now. And yeah, you know, you're starting to see these shows go in that direction where it's like, is it bingeable? And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> what does that even fucking mean? First of all, yeah. it's like, is it bingeable? Like, come on. Yeah. And, and because of that now it's like, oh, you only get like two or three seasons. Cause that's enough content. For yeah. It. Well, that's actually a Disney thing too. When I did um, 101 Dalmatians, that was, I think that was part of that block that, yeah, it was an after school kind of a, it wasn't one Saturday morning. It was a, that was that block that we were talking about before. So um, I did Clarabelle. I mean, I did uh, Corella DeVille and 101 Dalmatians and they made, I think like 136 episodes, which is unheard of, but it was uh, really successful and people liked it and kids were watching the whole thing. And then they stopped. And I said, um, this is getting such good ratings and people are really liking it. Why are we stopping? And they said, because the, pe- the key- people who are watching this show right now are just about to age out and they won't watch it anymore, but we have enough that we can play it over and over and over again for the rest of time and younger kids will find it and watch it. We have enough now. It's kind of like um, for, for on-camera television, if you do five years worth of shows, it's considered uh, something that can be syndicated. And that's why you'll see like 
Seinfeld on from five o'clock to seven o'clock and, you know, shows that have run forever. You'll see them in reruns because they're syndicated now. So that's the, that was a business model at the time. And it's, um, I mean, I, I was, we have, we have Disney plus and we were, you know, my husband's like a huge Marvel person and we were spinning through it. And I was like, oh my God, every cartoon I've ever done is on here. It was insane. You know, it was crazy shows I'd completely forgotten about. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so hilarious because I know like a lot of voice actors don't watch their own work. Cause everyone's like, oh, I, I can't stand listening to myself talk <laughs> or whatever. But I, I just, I just liked having this picture in my head where of like April of you, like watching one show that you did and you're like, huh, that was, that was a thing I did. I remember this one. <laughs> yeah. Does Disney would do, will do this thing occasionally where they'll send you a DVD and you're like, what mine? I don't have kids. Why are they send it? And then you're like, oh, I'm in this but to completely forget, you know? So, um, yeah, I do occasionally watch them. Like I had a real, I had a real curiosity about 101 Dalmatians a couple of months ago because I, I hadn't seen it since it ran, and I watched one. And I was like, oh, I, I was pretty good. I like that. That was not bad, you know. And then you'll see things you're like, eh. but um, yeah, like Wander Over Yonder. I watched all of those. I loved that show, and I I liked my character, and um, that's that was like one of my favorites. I'll if that comes on, I will, I'll watch it. Um, but it is a trip to see stuff you did, you know, in the nineties. And, and it's just insane. I've had people call my agent and say, uh, we'd really like this person to, um, you know, we'd really like April to, to appear at this thing or to do with this, to talk about this character. And I'll say, I'm, I'm not that guy. I didn't do that. That's not me. And they'll say, no, it, it is. And I, so I'll get it. I'll find it on YouTube and I'll listen to it. And I'll say, yeah, that's not me. And my agent's like, yeah, that was you. That was you. I mean, it, it doesn't even, here's a story for you. I was driving around LA years ago and this woman came on the radio and I'm listening to her and I'm like, God damn it. A bunch of commercials for like a recycling or something. And I thought, God damn it. This woman is completely ripping off my shit. She's totally ripping off my style. And I'm listening, I'm getting madder and madder. She's got all my inflections. She's doing all my little things that I do and all my little shtick. And I'm like, what? This woman must have really studied my shit to be doing this. I'm getting madder and madder. And, I, and all of a sudden I went, oh, that's me. I completely forgot that I had done them. <laughs> and it was me. Fuck you, April Winchell. I know, April right? <laughs> I've never forgiven myself for that. <laughs> No, it's it's kind of funny because you voiced a character called the Bugmaster in Darkwing Duck, and one of the running jokes about that character is that how for, she's a super villain that only appeared in one episode, and she became like a forgettable <laughs> villain. And I'm like, well, that life imitates art. I, guess. I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, I don't, I have no re- recollection of that at all. But a lot of it, you don't, you don't know, you know, till you get there. And maybe you're doing something else, and they'll say, "Can you do this part?" And you're like, "Yeah," and you you do it, and you just and you just completely forget. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I have the luxury of not working every single day now, but there were many, many years where I worked almost every day and you just, you can't, you wouldn't, you can't remember, you know, you cannot remember what you, what you did like 10 years ago. So, um, it's always a surprise when I see something that I, and, or you'll remember it differently. Right. And then you watch it and you'll say, I don't, I thought I was in the, I didn't realize I did this by saying in this. So, um, it's kind of fun. I, I used to watch my dad, my dad, I would on Saturday morning when I was a little kid, I'd watch my dad and he'd come in to make coffee and I'd be like, dad, you're on TV. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I know. Dad, you have to watch it. Well, sit down and watch it. 
Yeah. Okay. He didn't, he never wanted to watch it. And I, now I understand why. So. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, you, 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 you start watching your own stuff. You start to, you know, suddenly those little thoughts creep in of like, Oh man, I, I will never be able to, to re- replicate that. And I hate. Oh, that. I don't have that. I don't, that's not, for me, I don't, I never feel like that. I never look at stuff I did and feel like I'm not that good anymore. Or that was my best. Those were my best years. I save all that self-loathing for my personal life. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't feel like that. I, I, I think my dad just didn't want to watch it. You know what it is? It's a job, right? I mean, it's just, as fun as it is, as much as you enjoy it, anything that you do enough, it turns into a job. Not that it's a bad job, but it's, it's work. And to this day, my husband is a huge fan of animation. And if he starts watching a cartoon, I will usually get up and leave the room because I can't get, I can't suspend my disbelief. You know, I can hear every, I'm like, oh, that's Maurice LaMarche. And that's a, you know, that's, that's Jeff Bennett. That's Billy West. That's, and I can see the studio, you know, and I can see all the people, oh, John, yeah, John, and I can see the people in the studio and I can see, I know where we recorded it and I know who directed it. And I just can't. I can't, um, I can't suspend disbelief at all because it's, it's, you know, too much. And so it, it's, it does, it's not really enjoyable at all. Not that I don't love those people, but I mean, it's not, it's not entertainment. It's listening to something that you did at work. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people from that era feel the same way because it's like, Hey, you know, this was just a, I mean, it's great that you have passion for the thing we did all those mm-hmm. years ago, but it was a job. <laughs> like we're not, yeah. you know. We're not sitting here like, you know, if you ask us questions about what this character did and what, why they did it, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they're not yeah. going to fucking know. No. And I think it's, shit. I think that's healthy to understand that. You know what I mean? Because it, it's a, I think that's okay. Well, I did a, a press junket for Goof Troop years ago. And I can't remember the name of the guy, but he was the head of Disney animation at the time. And I cannot remember his name. And we were at, um, we're at like a, hotel in Los Angeles. And they were doing a lot of promotion for the show because it was like Goofy's first series in a long time. And it's a flagship character, you know. Um, and so I was sitting there with him and they said, uh, and I, I played um, Pete's wife, Peg, next door. And my daughter was Nancy Cartwright, Pistol, I think her name was. And um, they said to me, um, uh, so uh, one of the reporters said, so Goofy has a son named Max, right? And I said, yes, that's right. And that's your neighbor, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Well, okay. So in a, in a, in a 1942 short called Goofy's Day at Work, uh, we see Goofy leaving for work and we see an arm come out with a brown bag lunch for him. So, you know, ostensibly his wife. I went, yeah. And they said, but it was a human arm. And, and Goofy's a, a, like a dog, right? And I said, well, I'm looking at the head of animation because I don't know where this is going and I don't want to say the wrong thing, right? And he's like, yeah, okay, yeah. And they said, does that mean that Disney um, endorses and condones bestiality? And I was like, oh my God, what, how, how much thinking did you have to do to get to that? And uh, so, yeah, people get very, go down the rabbit hole and think uh, more stuff than I could ever, would ever occur to me. Goofy wears pants, but Pluto does not wear pants. Care to elaborate on that? <laughs> well, I'm, my assumption is that, Goofy, that Pluto is a dog, and I don't know. I've heard an explanation for that before, but I don't remember what it was. And I will often get email from people saying, is, who's Max's mom? 
And is are Clarabelle and 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 Goofy married? And I I I don't think so. I mean, I I feel like I'd know. And uh, I say, well, um, you know, she's a cow and he's a dog, and you know, Hollywood marriages never work out. So I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you do it all your life, and you you never think about it. <laughs> I never, I've never asked anyone at Disney. So um, what's their relationship? Is it, is it platonic? Are they physical? Are they into, I've never, I they're not real. So I've never asked about it. You should just, you should just reply saying um, it is real if you think it is. Oh, that's nice. Okay. I will say that. <laughs> it's real if you think it is. <laughs> or yes. <laughs> yes. Whatever you just said. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's cute though. It's nice that people are interested, you know, it's, it's nice. I'm always, I'm, I'm, you know, I have kind of a black shriveled heart, but I'm always so secretly so delighted when people tell me that it's meaningful. And sometimes I'll, I'll hear, I'll see like one time my husband and I were driving and we, there was a, there was a kid's birthday party, like five doors down from my house. We were on the way to go shopping or something. And they had a big bouncy house and all the castle and everything like that. And everything was Clarabelle, all of it, like Clarabelle balloons. And so this was obviously this little kid's favorite character. And I, I pulled over and I got out and I said, look, I said, this is really weird, but I'm the voice of Clarabelle. And the woman just went like all the blood drained out of her face. And I said, and I can see we were driving, you know, I could see that this is like somebody's favorite thing here, the birthday girl or whatever. I said, do you want me to call? Do you want, do you want to like, I can call you on your phone and you could give them the phone and say that Clarabelle is on the phone. And she, you know, she didn't know how to take it. And I know it was weird, but it was like, you know, and the, and the, I did. And the kid just lost her shit. She lost her mind. And that's, I don't get the opportunity to do that as much as like Rob Paulson, who is asked constantly. And, but when I, when you do, it's really it's really cute. It's, it's a really sweet thing. It makes me happy. And, and I think a lot of people take that for granted, honestly, like at the end of the day, like, yeah, sure. It's, it, it, it it's nice to, to be remembered uh, by, you know, adults who grew up watching your stuff right. as, a, as a kid, but like, but now it's their kids, you know, that's, yeah. it's, it's kind of cute. It really and, is cute. And, and I, and I wanted to point this out, but I was rewatching, you know, the, the, the 2017 DuckTales and I'm like, how amazing is it that they found a way that the, that the writers and showrunners found a way to bring you back in, in that. I loved that. That was a good character too. That was um, black, black Heron, right? Yeah. Black Heron. Yeah. Yeah. That was, was a great character. Very like Helen Mirren kind of Judy Dench kind of a very dry. I liked that character a lot. They're, and I loved all those people. It was very nice. I, I, I'm always so delighted when somebody, you know, when I was younger, I'd come in and they'd say, oh, we got this character. We thought of you immediately. And they'd show you the paper. And it's like a 500 pound Gorgon with warts all over. I was like, oh, thank you very much. But you know, that's your, that's your niche. And so people, you know, often will ask for me when they're doing monsters or screamers or villains. And it's like, you know, those are the best parts. I love those parts. She was great because, and I, and I had no, and I didn't even notice this the first time I watched this, but someone pointed this out 
if you go back and watch that show in the flashbacks, Black Heron's voice is a little bit higher because she's younger. Yeah. Yes. But in but in during the present day, her voice is a little bit deeper. And I'm like, fuck, how did I not notice that? <laughs> you know, we had a similar thing come up in the recess movie. Um, I don't know if you were familiar with that or not, but they were showing uh, Miss Finster as a young woman. And she had like a beach, you know, like a van with a mural painted on it and a, a surfboard and everything. And she was just kind of a cool chick. And so uh, Paul Germain, who is the creator of the show, he also created Rugrats, said to me, we can't, we haven't been able to decide on a voice for her. So we think it should be, is it Finster, but higher? So, cause she's younger. And I said, you know what? I think it's just Finster. I think she's just always talked like that. And so we kept her, you know, she gets out of the car and she's like 17. She's like, Hey, what's going on? 10 for you. Let's hang 10. And it was just really bizarre. It was a very funny idea. So it came out great. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> she just always talked like that. No, that was I, a, I love that part. No, it was, it was funny because I was like, are they going to get like a, another actress to do younger <laughs> Finster? But nope. <laughs> just the same one. I thought that was so funny. So that the um, people ask me sometimes how you come up with voices. And I always tell them the story about Miss Finster because you don't, you don't always, you don't always know what you're reading for. You'll go in and you have no idea. They'll just say, we want her to read for something or a couple of things. It's not like they give you the sides ahead of time, like on camera where they'll give you pages to learn because you're, you know, they want to see you without the paper in your hand. So you just go in and whatever it is, it is. And sometimes they'll have artwork there. And so you look at it and try to, you know, what is, what would this thing sound like or whatever? And that was the easiest one I ever did because the picture of her that they handed us, well, you know what she looks like. And she had big jowls. And I thought, well, what would you sound like if you had jowls? And so I started to make my, my face like, you know, like I was pulling down on my cheeks to see what that would sound like. And I thought, oh, that's, that's cool. Let's make her a little older then. And let's see if we can know that. Jowl. So that's what, that's where that came from. But you just, you never know. Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they'll say, um, we'll know it when we hear it, which is the worst thing in the world because you don't know what the fuck they want, you know? And then sometimes they'll have an idea. They'll say, can you sound like, um, can you sound close enough to Helena Bonham Carter that we won't get sued? Or can you, you know, so you just, sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. But um, the art is very instructive sometimes. And and uh, did they give you a picture of Black Heron or was it just a description? No, they knew that they wanted her to sound like a Helen Mirren, Judy Dench kind of British cool uh villain villainess so they knew what that what they wanted which is great when they know i just love the fact that they not only brought her back for the last season but they expanded upon her character because in in her first appearance she was just like a villain of the day like she didn't have mm-hmm. much of a personality oh but, i loved it <laughs> but in, i loved it but in like the the season three you start to see that oh no this is a woman who not only enjoys being evil but encourages bradford to, <laughs> to yes to, uh, to embrace yes. his evil side because she is horny for evil. <laughs> that was a really good, that was a fun character. I really like that. And I like those people too. So that was nice. And I love how someone pointed out like when Bradford kills her, she doesn't, she doesn't react angrily. She's like, oh, Bradford, you betrayed me. I'm so proud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She died horny. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, because you've done so many shows, like, does it, does there ever come a point where you, you feel like you've, you've done so much in short in, in only a short amount of time or do you th- do you feel like you can still keep keep going well i uh it's a good question i i i have cut way back on the stuff that i do um so i will i will do clarabelle until my last croak you know because i i love that character and she, and it's it's important to me so i will always do that and you know they keep making they keep making stuff for her to do because she's a flagship character. I wish they'd make more toys, but that's another story. But they keep making, you know, she keeps, it's like roads. To, I, I, I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe I'm just going to do roads to racers. And then it's like, when that show ends, I'll have to really consider. So if I'm done or whatever. So they do roads to racers like five years or something. And then, then I came in one day and they said, well, this is our last show. And I was like, oh, and they said, yeah, but now we're going to do this one. And now we're going to, so it's like one after another, after another. And so I, I'll always, I'll do it as long as they'll have me, you know, and I'll do anything if I'm requested, because I consider that such an honor and it happens a lot, you know, um, but I'm not, I don't live in LA anymore and I don't want to work every single day anymore. And it's a big transition because I've been doing this since I was 11, you know, so I have the luxury now of doing things that I want to do. And my agent will send me stuff. And if I don't feel it, I just don't, you know, pass. And that's it. You know, I don't have that. I don't have that anxiety like I had when I was younger. That was like, take anything, take anything. And so it's, it's good and bad. It's a weird, it's weird because it's something that I've kind of identified. I've like, that's my identity, you know, all these years doing it. That's sort of how you identify yourself. So without that, who are you? And what are you? So that's hard, but also to have a different speed, like to, to not feel compelled to work every single day and to produce, 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 produce. That's kind of been good for me too. So I think I still have the ability. I, I'm just trying to have more balance now. Yeah, because it, it's a totally different, and another thing is that it's a totally different world now. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, you know, they're not gonna, you know, you're, you're always gonna have people who are gonna call you up for something. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 nowadays, a lot of parts are written with someone in mind. So, uh-huh. so right. it's like, you know, you, you know, you're not gonna, you, there's not gonna be that pressure to be like, Oh, I got to audition for everything, everything, everything. Because like, yeah. no, no, yeah, you don't have to. No, I, yeah, you're right. And I, I know a lot of people, my dad included, who got to this kind of stage in their career where they weren't working as much and got very bitter. And that's not, that's, this is by choice, you know? And I, I, I made up my mind when I saw my dad kind of falling apart that I was never going to do that ever, ever, ever. I was never going to depend on someone else or something else to allow me to be a creative person. If I wanted to be creative, I will. I started a website. I wrote a book. I wrote two books. I, when I, when there was a strike when there, and, and nobody was doing cartoons, I got my own radio show. I was on the radio for three years in LA. I'm always going to be my creative champion. You know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to depend on somebody else to give me the opportunity. And if I want to create, I will, if I want to do if whatever I want to do, I will do it. I mean, and now we live in this time, you know, when we were, when my dad was young, it wasn't like this. You didn't have a video camera, you know? You couldn't just be on the radio. You couldn't just do a 
podcast to have millions of people. You couldn't, there was no YouTube. You really needed the machine of Hollywood to give you the opportunity. And there was far less opportunity. I mean, there was a smaller talent pool too also, but it was like a couple of channels. There wasn't cable or whatever, you know? So if he didn't get the opportunity, he didn't get to be a creative person and it made him absolutely insane. And, um, you know, I, I, I decided I was never going to let that happen to me and I haven't. And, um, you know, so I, that's, a, we're really fortunate to be in this time, but I also have to, you know, I, I'm not unhappy. How do I put this? Okay. So a couple of years ago, when I decided to sort of slow down, um, I was looking at Twitter and I was living in Oregon at the time. So it wasn't even in LA and we weren't doing remote like we're doing now. And I looked at, I was looking at Twitter and I saw somebody who is a voiceover actress who does, who I've worked with many, many, many times and who is kind of sort of in the pocket of what I do, but I'm a little rougher, you know, a little deeper. And she was tweeting, I'm here at Nickelodeon today. I'm so happy. I'm with the luckiest people. I'm so lucky. And I thought, damn it. Why didn't I, why aren't I? And I stopped myself and I went, Oh, because I don't want to, because I'm, I made a different choice right now. So that reflexive kind of, um, freak out that you're not working all the time. I just got it in check, you know, and because I, this is my choice. So I'm not bitter or, you know, I I'm very excited that there are younger people coming up and having a lot of opportunity. I think it's fucking awesome. You know, I don't own any of this. I really don't. When I, when I'm gone, somebody else will do Clarabelle. You know, I don't own any of this. I had a moment. I'm still having it. I'm controlling the kind of moment that I want to have. And it's, it's some, it's going to be, you know, it's someone else's time. You know, other people are coming up and being recognized for what they do and new types of content are being created. And it's, you know, it's not, um, worrying it's it's kind of wonderful no no i i totally agree with you because um you know especially when when you mention you know a lot of uh, newer people coming up um uh, and and i and i had no idea I, I didn't even notice this but um one of one of my favorite up-and-coming talents uh, is zara fuzzle and she's someone like me who grew up in the 90s who grew up with darkwing duck and she she loves that show and mm-hmm. and now she's on disney like she's doing it's Disney great. shows. She's it's General Yunnan in in um in Amphibia, and she's fucking amazing. So I'm, it's I'm, like I did a bunch of Amphibias, but I never met her. No, because everyone unfortunately records yeah. separately. And I and, yeah. and I and I and and let me tell you, like that that is the kind of like this industry can be the most depressing thing ever because you hear so much stories about self destruction, but yeah, the stories of people who grew up watching these shows and that inspired them to get mm-hmm. out of whatever bullshit that they were currently. Yeah. In. Yeah. And to, to not only make it, but to work with their heroes, it's just, I, you know, like that, that's the kind of feel good shit that, that keeps me going. It like, is, honestly. it is great. You know, and I, I remember when I was a little kid, I would go with my dad to every single job he did because I was really interested in it. They got me interested in um, spoken word very early. They gave me a lot of records to play with plays on them and um, radio shows and stuff. And I was really interested in what he did. And I would go and I'd watch him and I'd see younger people in there with that, with him that were just overwhelmed, you know, to be working with Tigger or Dick Dastardly or any of those. And it was really 
it was really, it was great. It was great to see, you know, because like I say, it's a very insular sort of thing. There's nobody there, you know, and then you realize that you made a difference or someone's, you know, someone remembers you fondly, or you got somebody through um, their parents' divorce or an illness or something. And it just feels like, okay, you know, I, I, I made a contribution. I did something good. And that, that feels really nice. Because I, I'm someone who, you know, grew up, you know, I was, I was that shy kid who, you know, didn't have many friends, always felt like I was an outsider, but, you know, and, and I was like maybe too, too obsessed with television sometimes, but, but, you know, those shows got me through a lot of, you know, a lot of terrible shit going on in my life. And I'll, I will forever be grateful for every person who worked on those shows because they got me through a lot. And, um, and, you know, that's why I hate it when people say, well, voice actors aren't really actors. I'm like, fuck you. They, <laughs> you know, they put more effort into, into, into a lot of these shows than most people did, you know, and, yeah. and they were, they were never cool. Like they, they, they were never like those people, they, they weren't Hollywood people. They weren't like, oh, no. I'm too cool to, to be doing. We're, like- we're such a bunch of fucking nerds. We really are. There's no, there's nobody cool in this industry at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, that's kind of great. You're, you're, you know, you're your own nerd club. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that's that's what I love about it. It's like, I, and that's why I don't like this idea of like, oh well, this is why I don't like the so, the social media age of like, oh man, I want to be like a voice actor, and and that's going to be my brand and all that shit. And I'm like, fuck you, no, no, don't don't yeah. do that. Do it because you love it. Don't do it because you want to get famous. Well, you can't really blame younger people because this is what they grew up with, you know. I mean, when when we were when I was little, everybody wanted to grow up to be a princess, you know. And then in the in the early two thousands, everybody wanted to be a whore, you know. <laughs> everybody wanted to be like Paris Hilton. And then and then you know then everybody wanted to get famous with a sex tape. And then everybody wanted to get famous with a, you know, by by doing by blowing shit up on TikTok or whatever. it's it's just the platform keeps changing. And so I can't. I can't blame people, you know, if you have that drive to be recognized and you have talent, this is just what's, this is just what's available, you know? So that's how that, this is how we have taught people that they, what they need to do to be successful. And so it's unfortunate because it's, you know, brand above, above ability, but, um, or above passion or whatever, but this is just, um, it's what the market will bear. You know, it's free market. Entertainment is a free market economy. So if somebody's going to make, you know, millions of dollars every year opening toys on YouTube, do you know that the highest earning person on YouTube is somebody who unboxes toys? So, you know, I hate this universe. God love them, you know, (laughs) there's an audience. God love them. So, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I watch people, I watch a lot of YouTube and um, I'm just amazed at the people who are there. They have found a niche that is so specific and odd and they make a fucking fortune. And I I think, well, you know, God love you. That's not, I don't know. Okay. That's just what it is now. There's a woman on YouTube who does, you know, true crime is very big people talking about murders and kidnapping stuff like that she does true crime uh stories while she puts makeup on and you think you know there's just no other time in our history that this particular combination of talents would have made so much money but it's what people are watching it's what people like you know 
So. <laughs> I mean, lowest common denominator was all is always going to be a thing. Like it, it's it's not you know I don't know why I'm acting so shocked. It's like no no I I, I remember it's wild. Yeah, it's wild. No. there's people making a fortune cleaning cars, and you know I'm one of the fucking assholes watching it. You know, I'll be like, oh, I wonder what this guy's power washing today. It's just what it, you know, it's just what people are watching. It's a whole different kind of algorithm that people have tapped into. It's it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating. There there are people who, who do shows where they organize their pantry. And I sit there and going, wow, I love that shit. I love organization. It gets me, it just like massages that OCD part of my brain. I'll watch that all fucking day. It's bizarre, but okay. So I take it like okay, how how what is the longest time you've spent watching YouTube? You mean at at a time or yeah, in a day? Yeah. In a time or day, what what have you? Well, and it's funny, like sometimes I'll be spinning through and if I see something that's more than three minutes, I'm like, I can't fucking do this. You know, it's too it's too long. Your attention span gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. But um there are things that I watch regularly that are about 20 or 30 minutes. Um and then things that I will just put on while I'm doing something else. Cause I like listening to it, but I watch, I've got YouTube on more than anything. I think because it's just very hard to, my attention span is really throttled. It's, it's, or it's very, very hard to get into something. I can't like, it's like hard to watch TV shows. It's hard to watch movies. It's hard to watch something when you've got a, uh, when you've got a, uh, you know, if you don't have your devices, it's hard to watch stuff. You're just very fragmented. So that suits me. Cause they're all real short, short things. Now, but now let me ask you, what's the weirdest thing on YouTube that you watch? Do you watch YouTube? Um, weirdest thing. Oh boy. <laughs> weirdest <laughs> thing. Yeah, God, weirdest thing. Um, trying to think because there's just so much. We go through these so weird stuff. rabbit holes. Like we were watching tsunami videos for a while. And then that turned into, um, now we're watching wood turning. Like people who make, who put the wood on a lathe and make vases and, and bowls and shit. And then we, and then I love watching people who um, uh, refinish furniture, like find shit on the side of the road and scrape all the paint off and start all over. And then we, I, you know, then you start. Now you're in like cooking videos and and uh, paranormal. It's like it's just weird rabbit holes, you know. So I'm sure you watch something strange, right? Oh no, no, it was the the weirdest thing I've watched, and I, I still think I. It was the what was it? Um, the two and the two and the two hour Garfield video. <laughs> what the hell is that? What is that? Oh, look it up. It's amazing. It's the what the internet did to Garfield. Oh, I was on Garfield. I should watch that. Oh, it is. I'm not gonna explain it. It's it's all two, right. It's two hours. Did you watch long. the whole two hours? Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, it I'm through. watching that. Because it goes that. through the entirety of Garfield and what the internet has turned it into. And oh, I'm gonna watch that when I get. Oh boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you ever wondered why why is there so much art of Gar that depicts Garfield as a monster? Well, yes, yes. Like on Reddit, I've seen that a lot. I don't know why. What it oh, is? Oh, you will know why. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that on on Reddit where he's a monster and eating people or John is terrified or and I always think what that where the fuck did that come from? So yeah, okay, good. Well, you've given me something to do now. I appreciate that. <laughs> because it's like well, yeah, it's like what's the weirdest video? It's like, yeah, well, Garfield, obviously. <laughs> like Garfield do you watch is... something regularly? 
Uh, and I mean, you know, usually I would just, ha- you know, when it comes to YouTube, I usually just have like background noise. So yeah, it's like, right. So it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to look at, look up maybe music or what have mm-hmm. you. And it's like, okay. But, yeah. Well, but that's normal. Like, that's what normal people do. Yeah, well, I, I watch, uh, I have Judge Judy reruns on for like eight hours at a time. And I know them all by heart, you know? So I'm like, oh yeah, this is the one where the woman, the, where the dog doesn't belong to her and she put up a fake thing. And I, was, I know how they end and, you know, I just have them on all day. There's just something about the sound of it. That's just real comforting. I'm ironing or doing shit. And she's in the back room saying, you made a mistake, sir. You did the wrong thing. You know? And it just, it's like, uh, it's just comfort. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I also like that no matter what you think of, you find it. Like I said to, I said to my husband the other day, I, I remembered a skit from second city with Eugene Levy. And it was, it had to be like 74 or something like that. And I was describing this sketch to him and he's, he's much younger than me. So he's, he never even saw second city and he picks up the remote and he does like a search and it comes up. It's like, what? It's awesome. I remember when I was younger and you'd be like, um, who is in that movie? Who, oh, you know what I'm going to call my friend? He knows. He'll know. He'll know. And you call him. And you're like, you've helped me out. Who is the thing? Oh, that was so-and-so. And you're like, yes, yes. And there was, a, there was a phone number that you could call for a while that was a lot like a library hotline and people would look up answers for you. And now it's just in a second. And I really like that because it, it confirms for me a lot that I'm not insane. Like I, I didn't hallucinate it. You know, I can see it and I know that it actually happened. I think that sums up the, the past two years perfectly. That quote. <laughs> I, I, I'm this not happened. insane. I, I know that. Happened. I know this happened. How bad have the last two years been? Wow. Well, the last six, but I mean the last. Jesus Christ. Wow. It, it, it's okay. How crazy was it that 2021 just came and went? Like for real, for yeah. real. Like I, I know something like, oh yeah, no, it's 2022. But it still feels like 2020. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Well, 2021 was like such a continuation of 2020 that it doesn't feel like like we went to, like it's been two years, you know. Oh, God. A nightmare. Jesus Christ. Uh, it's just, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to mention like, I don't understand the world anymore. Like, I honestly no. don't. And, don't try. And one of the things. One of my weirdest, you know, talking about comfort is like whenever I watch like a newer Disney show and I, and I hear Mm -hmm. like your voice and I'm like, Oh, Oh, thank God. April. I'm like, you're judge Judy. (laughs) I'm like, you're judge Judy. What a compliment. (laughs) April Winchell. As long as April Winchell is still doing Disney shows (laughs) and the earth is still spinning. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) You know, like during the, um, the first part of the, the first variant, you know, like in 2020, um, it, we didn't work for a long time and it was stuff was starting to back up and get crazy. So Disney said, um, do you, can we, will you work at home? And I said, yeah, but you know, I don't have a great setup because it's, you know, it's just for auditions and stuff. I mean, I have, like, I sit in my closet and I have like some you know, bedspreads on the wall and stuff. So I don't have a great setup, but yeah, I'll do, I'll record it home. So they sent me this huge box of shit and they said, okay, we're going to talk you through it. And they gave me like a mixing board and an equalizer and a really nice mic and nice headphones and everything. And they w- walked me through the whole setup and I recorded, uh, 
a couple of episodes of Amphibia, and I recorded a few episodes of uh, like a like a Mickey's Holiday movie thing, like a, a Halloween special or something. And they called me up and they said, uh, yeah, we can't. It's good, but it's not great. So as soon as the studio opens, we're going to have you uh, come and re-record it at the studio, which is awesome because you get paid twice. And uh, so they couldn't use it. And I said, do you want me to send you back all this equipment? They were like, nah, it's fine. Keep it. So now I have this great setup in here and nothing to do with it. So thank you for calling me because now I can talk to you in my professional studio. No, th- thank you so much for being professional because the last episode, <laughs> I, the last episode I did, the guy was just using his phone and it sounded like absolute dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you record your iPhone in your car, it sounds really good. Believe it or not. I was doing a project with Rob Paulson and we, we needed him to, we were doing this thing with sock puppets and we were putting it together. And I said, we got to have, we need like two lines from you. He goes, well, uh, I can't get to a studio. I can't get to my house. I said, we got it. And I said, can you do like a scratch? We'll just fly it in. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, give me a minute. And then he sends them to me. And I'm like, these sound fucking amazing. Where'd you? He goes, oh, I'm in my car. And it's a, it's in a pinch. It really works. So if your system ever goes down, you can talk to somebody in your car. I'll, that's, I'll give that to you free, that advice. No, but he was like talking on his phone and you can tell like he was fiddling around with it because you can hear like, you <laughs> know, the- <laughs> his hand moving around and and, did, <laughs> and we were talking about like mic technique and he took the phone oh and, that's and funny put, and put it next to his mouth and it's like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny <laughs> and, I, and i didn't want to be a dick and say like can you have like a professional setup because i you know <laughs> oh, you are god, a voice actor funny. are you not sir <laughs> Yeah, I was, I really didn't have a good setup for a long time. I was very ashamed, you know, I'd have, I'd go to do an audition and I couldn't find my mic and stuff. And I'd say, I'd always say the same thing to my, my husband. How long have I been doing this? Why don't I have a microphone that I just like lose my shit every time. And so finally we got it all set up in here. It sounds pretty good. I'm actually in a closet. I'm in my little professional closet right now. And you know, I, I I did an episode of Cupheads from this closet. So it's paid for itself. Uh, I hope it's not too hot because, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, in the summer, forget it. You know, I'm in Vegas, so it's miserable <laughs> right now. It's okay. It's like very cold outside here. And and how is like recording from home for you? Like, is it, you know, is it something you feel comfortable with or is it just, do you miss the studio? Well, I don't miss the studio because it's still, it's like this, you know what I mean? It's just you. What I miss is something they don't do anymore, which is ensemble recording. You know, when I first started this, the whole cast would come and you like Goof Troop. It was everybody. It was Frank Welker and Nancy Cartwright and Rob Paulson and me and Jim Cummings. And you were there for like two hours and it was so much fun. It was such a good time. And then you would do Pepper Ann and it would be you and Pam Siegel and Catherine Wilhoit and, um, uh, oh God, I can't remember. Jamie Cooksey, right? Is that his name? Yeah. Who did, um, um, Moose. No, that was Pam Siegel. I can't remember, but it was like fun people, you know, and you'd have such a good time. And then, um, you know, of course, Mighty Ducks with Clancy and Brad and, you know, it's just, it was so much fun. And, and Wander did that too. So it would be you and Tom Kenny and Jack McBrayer. And it was just such a ball. I miss that. That was really, really fun. That was a good time. 
So, but working at home is very much like working in a studio. So it's, and I think it's going to stay like that. You know, it's just, it's, it's, everybody has different schedules and now people don't live in the same town and it's like, you can work remotely now. It's not, it's not impossible. So you don't, you don't see those people very much anymore and you don't get to talk to them either because they're leaving when you're starting. I miss that, but recording is it's pretty much the same experience either way. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's especially sad when I have someone on and I'm like, oh man, you got to work with so-and-so. No, we recorded our lines separately yeah. and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The early stuff, it was wild. And there was, you know, there were celebrities of a, of a kind early too. So you never knew who would be in there and you'd walk in and it would be like, um, you know, like Burt Reynolds, like Jesus Christ or, or James Woods or, uh, you come home and you'd be like, Oh my God, I worked with Miguel Ferrer today. Can you believe that? Like just people you never thought you would see. And, uh, and that was really fun. I really liked that. Um, I was like, that was a good time. It was always exciting. You know, I met a lot of really interesting people that way. And back in the Hanna-Barbera days too, when they were still a thing and you just never knew. Cause they had, they had a real soft spot for like old comics. So the people you would meet, you know, you just, people you saw on TV when you were a kid and stuff. And it was, I always get excited about the real um, kind of eclectic sort of celebrities. You know, I, I, I would not lose my shit over a big star, but seeing somebody that was on like the Bob Newhart show or something, I would go crazy. Everyone's a geek at heart. Like everyone's going to be, yeah. everyone has like that one person who's like, Oh, you're going to lose your shit. If you, yeah. if you met them. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I've done that. I, you know, the, my, my weirdest one was, did you ever see To Kill a Mockingbird, the old black and white movie with Cary Grant? Oh, I, I know. I know who you're going to be talking about. <laughs> or not, not Cary Grant, Gregory Peck. And so, uh, but I mean, I loved that movie when I was a kid and it was, you know, that had been, it was like a very old movie by the time I saw it. And I walked in to do uh, an episode of a show called SWAT Cats. And there was Brock Peters, who's the um, black actor in that movie, who's accused of raping the white woman. And I just lost my mind. I just geeked out so hard. And, you know, the people who were in the room were, were young. They were like, they had no idea who he was. But that was really exciting, you know, and because uh, that's a great movie and he was wonderful in it. So the people like that, that were real, you know, on the fringes, like people you wouldn't know. I, I thought that was, I've always thought that was really exciting. I always said, like, there are two types of people in this world, people who know Brock Peters from To Kill a Mockingbird and people who know Brock Peters from SWAT Cats. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, that's hilarious. That's so funny. Because that's me. It's like people go, oh, Brock Peters, like, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, meh. But it was yeah. like, uh, he was Swat also cats. in Swatcats. Yes, Dark Cat. He was fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. That is really funny. Because Swatcats was, was the first show me and my cousin would use to watch religiously. Like every time oh. there was an episode, we had to watch it, and it was yeah. great. And I was Molly Mange. Oh, me and, you, me and yeah. uh, Neil Ross, I think, but I can't. Remember, I don't remember what she sounded like. I think she probably sounded like this, like a new, like a tough gangster mole kind of girl. But I don't know. Uh, her voice was but a lot deeper, fun. a little bit deeper. Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. 
<laughs> but I, I remember I, going there and doing it. No, it was it was a lot of fun because you you and Neil had like a lot of back and forth, and every time they were on screen, like it was just so much. It's so so well written. The the dialogue and that was a good show. That was very early. That show for me it was a very early show, but I I. I enjoyed that because I, one of the reasons I liked it is because I had been there as a kid watching my dad do shows there, doing wacky races and all, you know, the Gargamel and the Smurfs and stuff. I had gone there as a child and, and sat in that very room on the other side of the glass watching him record. And that was always a trip. When I would go to the, the Disney lot, I mean, like the hair on my arms would stand up because I'd been there as a six-year-old, as an eight-year-old with my dad. And it was it's just how weird how that wheel comes around that now it's you, you know, and the weirdest one was um, when I was very, very little, my dad did Tigger for the first time in a short called Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. And we didn't know what he was working on, but he kept saying, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's really cute. It's really cute. And so we got invited to the premiere. And I remember there was Sebastian Cabot and John Fiedler, Fiedler, Fielder, I can't remember. And all the people who were in that, that, you know, Eeyore, all that stuff. And, um, you know, guys in big Winnie the Pooh costumes, you know, mascots and stuff. And we went to this little theater. I mean, we all watched Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. And it was the cast and their families and their kids and the whole thing. And it was just amazing. And you were watching it and you were thinking, this is important. This character is important. And, you know, now it's just Tigger's massive, you know. I mean, he's, my dad hasn't been here in a long time, but it's still, he created it. And then many, many, many years later, when I did Roger Rabbit, they started, you know, they did that handful of Roger Rabbit shorts, Tummy Trouble, Roller Coaster Rabbit, Trail Mix Up, uh, that kind of stuff. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those little shorts. Yeah, yeah they came did on. those shorts. So I did Mrs. Herman. You only see her legs and she would be, I'm going to the beauty parlor. And I also did Baby Herman as the baby, all the da, 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 crying and stuff. And uh, so when they did the first short, which I think was Tummy Trouble, maybe, I don't remember, but I think it was Tummy Trouble. They said, we're going to have a premiere at Disney. And I thought, oh, that'll be really fun. So I had my, I invited my mom and stuff and we went down there. Well, it was the same fucking theater and it was so weird. It was just so weird. Just being on the lot was weird, but then going to see a premiere of a short in the same theater where my dad had done, had premiered his, you know, Tigger was just crazy. And those kind of moments are just so, so surreal. And um, that was a really, that was a cool, that was a cool evening. I mean, and does it, does it feel odd to you that you are not only the second person to, to has ever voiced Clarabelle ever, but are still doing it like 26 years later? It is weird because it's one of those parts that, that it's like, they just asked you, do you know what I mean? I was doing goof troop. So this was like, this was early. This was like 96 or something. And they said, um, Hey, can you do Clarabelle? And I was like, Oh yeah, I had no idea what she sounded like, you know, but it's like when you're young and starting, you're like, Oh yeah, I could do that. Can you do like a trampoline tricks? Sure. I can juggle, you know, you can't, but you say yes. Cause you want, you want the break. So I went home and I listened to it and I thought, okay, this is like in my wheelhouse, you know, this is, this is all this kind of, oh, so I can do that. Right. So I go to the session it wasn't like a big audition process. It was one job. It was a, it was a talking CD. It was like a CD storybook thing. And I played Clara Cluck and Clarabelle the cow. And uh, I walked in and there's this 
man voicing Mickey Mouse sitting in a chair. And there's this woman sitting on his lap doing Minnie Mouse. And I thought, oh, Christ, fucking method actors. I hate this shit. People get so into it. It's like, oh, I'm Minnie. I'm Mickey. I'm going to sit in your lap. Okay. I just hated it, right? And I was sitting in there watching it. And I said to somebody, I go, what is that? That's so, I said, Mickey and Minnie record on each other's laps. And the guy looked at me, he goes, well, you know, they're married, right? So they were, they were actually husband and wife in real life. And I was like, oh, okay. I was really ashamed. So I did the, the record. And that was it. And then like the next time it came up, they said, Hey, you're Clarabelle now. I went, okay. And then it just never stopped. So I don't think they were planning on working that character as much as they did, or they probably would have had a lot of auditioning for it. I think they just thought they were doing a CD. And then I kind of got grandfathered into it, but it was, it was like one of the best lucky breaks I ever had. Yeah. Because um, I don't think like they only have like what Minnie and and Daisy. It's like, well, you kind of need three, (laughs) you know, three magic number. Yeah, I'm very, really super lucky that they decided to start using her. And she, you know, I do like talking calculators. And for some reason or other, they really, really like her in Japan. So I do like parades and store displays and little games and things. And she's always got something to do. And it's, I I like that character. My favorite thing I ever did as Clarabelle was the opera in Three Musketeers. That was that was very challenging and it took me like many, many sessions to do. And for some reason or other, it's not on YouTube. I don't know why there's a lot of that scene, but somebody else has dubbed it. It's like fan dubs, you know? So somebody else has, is singing. So I can't, I haven't been able to find it. And then I found it online. I downloaded it and listened to it. And that's one of those things that, you know, we were talking about earlier that you go, wow, <laughs> that was, that was good. And I'm listening to it going, she's never going to make that note. She's never, I'm not, I, there's no way this woman's going to hit it. And I hit it. Wow, that's pretty good. That was fun. I just love that hearing actors uh, mark out to themselves. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was fucking awesome in that. One. That was good. I was really good in that. Called my husband and listen to me. I hit that note. Can you believe that? So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot because I, I think part of being, uh, I think part of being an actor is, uh, you don't give yourself a lot of credit. You know what I mean? You don't, you, it's at least a lot of people I know, you know, you got that imposter syndrome that you're like, oh, one of these days are going to figure it out that I can't do this. And then you hear something where you're good and you got, you just kind of have to give it to yourself. You know, you have to say, oh, that's, I was good in that. That was all right. I had, I had an experience a couple of years ago where I went to Kevin Michael Richardson's birthday party with my husband. And my husband is a huge Star Wars nerd, like hardcore Marvel, Star Wars, all that stuff. And we, it was on a boat. It was like Kevin's 40th or something like that. And we, uh, or 50th. And we got, we got on the boat and uh, we're hanging out and talking to people. And, you know, my husband's already like a little jacked up because there's all these people here that he recognizes that he's excited. And he loves animation. So he knew a lot of these people. And I hear somebody go, hey, and I turn around and it's Mark Hamill. And I worked with Mark on, I don't remember exactly, but we worked on a lot of stuff together back in the day. And, uh, and he's a really nice man. And he says, how are you? I am great. How are you? And my husband's like swallowing his tongue. He can't believe this. And Mark says to me, Hey, I just got to tell you, and this was so random. He goes, I was listening to 101 Dalmatians the other night. And I, I'm so glad that you got that part. You were so good as Clarabelle. And I remember when you got it, I was so happy for you. And I was like, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. 
And he, you know, he walked right. I looked at my husband and I was like, he, he was, he, he, he was like, uh, well, he's never going to leave me now. You know what I mean? So that was, that was, I would, that was very fortunate for me, but you know, it's not, it's nice when you, it's nice when you can allow yourself to say that you were good at something and then somebody else that you appreciate and that you respect and admire, you know, likes what you do. It's really, it's very nice, you know, cause you don't give yourself, I don't know if you're like that, but I, it's hard to give yourself credit. So when you do it and you know, it's good, say you could say it, it's okay. You're not, a, you're not an asshole. It's okay to say you did something well, right? I hope so. I mean, it, it's fine to say you did something good, but it's, it's another thing where it's like, oh, check me out on this thing. I'm, I'm totally, I was yeah. totally great. Or, or like just talking about, or just talking out your ass and, and trying to pretend like you're a character. Oh, what a Shakespearean character. <laughs> it's just, fuck right off, dude. I can't do that. I'm somewhere between voice actors aren't really actors and I'm doing a Shakespearean tragedy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't take myself so seriously, but I, but I, I don't take this whole thing so seriously, but I cannot deny that it takes ability and talent to, to do it. And I've, I've worked with so many talented people and I've seen it, you know, but it's, it's also not a field where you get a lot of recognition or people really know you, although that's changing, you know, there's a lot more of that. I, mean, I don't, I really, nobody, nobody knows who I am unless I'm at Comic-Con, you know? Uh, although I did get recognized in an elevator once because I was talking to my mother and somebody heard my voice and asked if it was me. And I got recognized on the phone once talking to it, like customer service and asked if it was me. So, but you know, you're pretty, you're pretty anonymous for the most part. You don't, you never really feel like a star. That's because, uh, you know, back in those days, nerds like me weren't around to, <laughs> to, to pester <laughs> about shit that, that, they grew, <laughs> that they grew up watching. Well, that's a change for the better. So glad you're here. Yeah. And, and honestly, look, like, honestly, when I reached out to you, I was like, look, I just well, wouldn't be funny if we reached out to April, which <laughs> just, she's never going to say yes. And then I never like, do. <laughs> I never do this because I figure, you know, who fucking cares? Nobody fucking cares. And also I'm just sick of the sound of my own voice. Do you know what I mean? My same fucking stories you tell over and over again. No, I never so just, get bored of it though. I, I, I never, I ne- I never do it. I feel like I, I feel like who gives it, who cares, you know? And then I got your, your, your email and it was like, you just caught me off guard. And I was like, oh, this is, this, there was something very sincere about it. And I just, you know, and I was just blown away by where you are, you know, geographically. And I thought this is interesting and I want to, I'd like to do this. So I surprised myself too. Yeah. No, Neither I- one of us thought we'd do it. <laughs> No, I was so nervous because I'm like, you know, usually I would check up with people the day before recordings. Like, are we still up for it? But I couldn't do that with you because I'm like, you're so amazing. And I'm- what would I say? What would I say? <laughs> Talk to my people. <laughs> Who so is this amazing. again? Because <laughs> you're so amazing. And oh, like so one nice of. One of the things that legit bothers me is that when people talk about, then people do these all, all women in animation and very, very rarely does anybody mention you. And I'm like, this woman did so much for, for the Disney afternoon. And I fucking hate the fact that we sleep, we continue to sleep on her legacy and all the work she's done. And, and it's just, especially when, you know, listening to you talk about, you know, all the all the shit you've been through and and the absolute hell that um that 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 you went through throughout various periods of your life and 
And the fact that you're not only still here, but still doing it, man, you, you have nothing but respect for me. Thank like, you. I appreciate that. You know, I don't, I never, I don't feel slighted ever. You know, I really don't. I'm so lucky. I've had such a good career and I continue to have, you know, good work to do. And people continue to think of me and offer me great shit like black Heron, you know, and I, I'm good. You know, I'm really good. I, I'm your ego changes or should, as you get older and you get more comfortable with that, you don't need so much outside validation to, to believe in yourself. And, and, uh, it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm ne- I never feel like it's like that thing that I told you about, like the, the Twitter that I was like, God damn it. Right. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like that anymore. If I ever start, and I, I really don't ever start to anymore, but if I did, I would remember, I'd remember my dad and how bitter he was. And I just don't, I don't want anything external. I don't want any ex- lack of external validation to, to hurt me like that. You know, I mean, it's not good for anybody to, to, for the outside to be able to have that much power over you. But especially if your whole issue is that you're not getting enough recognition or no one's telling you how great you are. And you, it's, that's unhealthy to need so much of that, you know? So I, ne- I never feel bad. I just concentrate on the fact that I, I, I just have a great life. You know, I have a great house. I have a great the rhythm of my life is a little slower now and I really like it. I can do other things. I have like way too many dogs. I'm completely head over heels with, in love with my husband after 17 years. And I, you know, what's I, what's the complaint about, you know, my mother used to say, if you, if you had a great life and you were bitching about, you know, somebody didn't compliment you or whatever your issue was, she would say you were, she was Italian. She would say, you're crying with a loaf of bread under each arm. And I think about that a lot, you know, it's, it's just better to be grateful. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. And I've seen what, um, what false modesty does to a person. And I, and yeah. I don't like that. And, and, yeah. and like I said, man, you know, you hear a lot of stories of people that you grew up watching that you admire turning out to be yeah. pieces of shit. Yeah. It happens. And it's like, God damn it. But you know, yeah it kind of gives me joy that you not only still, you know, are continuing to work, but are still just an awesome fucking human being. Like, Oh, is... thank you. Thank <laughs> you. What a nice thing to say. Well, you are really very kind are. of you. I mean, uh, you just like, especially nowadays where everyone's like trying so hard to, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say like uh, step on anybody's toes, but like are trying so hard to create their, you know, brand and what have you. Yeah. And then the brand becomes the whole thing. And I'm just like, that's so disingenuous. Just like be, be yourself. Like, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't feed me this bullshit about, oh, yeah. I am so grateful that I am working with Nickelodeon <laughs> or whoever. It's like, come on. <laughs> well, I will say that every, I've had some really good successes in my career, like things where you're, you know, really getting a lot of recognition and really getting, you know, like regrets. He was one of those things. And then I did a, a, a campaign of radio commercials in LA that was so successful that it landed me a job writing for Roseanne. And it's like moments like that, that were awesome. I did a one woman show at the Roxy in LA that was produced by Jane Wagner and Lily Tomlin, like big, you know, big moments that were really, really successful and great. 
And all of those things happened because I had an idea and I just did it. You know, you, it's like I was bored or I, 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 there was a lack of opportunity. Like I said earlier, the, um, the, uh, uh, there was a strike and there was no cartoons happening and there was no commercials happening. So I had both of my industries were dead. I was working in advertising and animation. So I thought, you know what? I bet I'd be really good on the radio. So I, you know, ignorance is bliss. So I called the, the program director at the top talk radio station in LA and he took the call because I was on the radio at the time doing this really high profile um, radio campaign. In fact, one of their morning hosts had done a whole hour on these commercials, right? It was really getting a lot of attention. And I said, hey, I have a really good idea for a radio show. He goes, well, come in and pitch it. So I went in and I said, okay, here's the idea. I don't talk about news. I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about anything important. I just talk about pop culture and bad lifetime movies. And I don't take phone calls. And he said, why would you not take phone calls on talk radio? And I said, because I figure if they're that interesting, they'd have their own show. He goes, okay, can you start on Sunday? I was like, yeah. I mean, it was just a thing that I, you know what I mean? It's like, I just, I was bored. I was, I wanted to make an opportunity for my, every good thing that's ever happened. I didn't care about the rules. You know what I mean? I didn't think, well, you're never going to get a job on talk radio. You got to have a air check reel and you got to start in like some small town. I just, I just like leapfrogged over all that and just tried to do what I wanted to do. And I, I, that's like the best, the best things I've ever done were, I didn't, I just did them. I wasn't, I just took the, you know, I didn't follow the rules or let anything dissuade me. So, uh, I mean, that's, I, I didn't care about building a brand or I just went with the idea and tried to make something happen. So yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like you say, being yourself, that's really the only way to be successful. The times I was the most genuine are the times that I had the most success in my life and that I was the most content. Yeah, you know, and, and you didn't have to use your celebrity to endorse really terrible Ponzi schemes, which is always great. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I was never asked. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't approached. Uh, no, God, how sad is it now? Like every, every fucking person on the planet is shilling out cryptocurrency and NFTs and all this other nonsense. I don't get it. I mean, I know that I'm old, but I don't fucking get it at all. I just don't get it. It's so stupid. And it's like, why do you have to destroy your goodwill like that? Like why, you know, like, couldn't we just, you know, oh, you are so close to greatness, but you just like- I don't to. know. That's a really good question. I don't know. I heard somebody say once that it's very easy to have a lot of money, but it's very difficult to have enough. And I thought that was interesting. So I think that people have a hunger, like a, well, especially in this business where you don't really know where your next job is coming from, you can get scared into taking anything, even if it debases you or, or makes you kind of, you know, tarnishes your- your reputation or whatever it's panic and i always feel like you can tell when something's done out of fear you can sort of smell it in the in the work you know so it's a desperation but uh it's a combination of desperation and opportunism but neither one of those things have anything to do with being creative so uh you can all it all it's kind of depressing when you see it that's what pisses me off it's like it's you know i wish you guys were honest in that you know you're just shilling out garbage but no we're yeah we're being, we're, we're trying to create stories. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 
I'm a storyteller who won't listen to people who tell me that I'm, you know, being being a complete fucking idiot. Okay. <laughs> I'm a storyteller, but I can't name anybody that I've had a conversation with in the last five no. years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, listen, it beats dancing on TikTok, right? At least you're, t- at least you're telling a story. I, I only looked at TikTok recently because I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, you know, and I've been looking at it lately because my sister's really into it and she'll send it to me. And I'm like, oh God, really? But see, now this is anybody who becomes famous on TikTok, that's going to be the new thing that everybody, all the, all the younger people are going to want to emulate. This is how you wind up with the same show over and over again. Like, have you ever noticed, um, you'll see something really successful on like HBO And then before long, there's a corollary on a, like a broadcast channel that's been sort of dumbed down for what they do, but there'll be a successful sitcom around some sort of concept. And then you'll see five of them. It's just, it's just somebody who has the power to green light, who says, let's do something like that because that's successful. And they'll say it to somebody who's desperate to get a show and they'll say, okay, I can make that work. So it's just a weird, you know snake eating its tail kind of thing where you just kind of crap out the same shit over and over again what are you talking about who needs voice <laughs> a- like who needs voice actors anymore we can just get influencers yeah <laughs> well you know go ahead that's fine that, 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 <laughs> give that, it a shot that, that really annoys me that fucking influencers are getting acting gigs now that the that the union recognizes them as quote-unquote actors and is just, i don't uh, know uh. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, there's so much shit to be angry about. You know what I mean? If you, if you give into it, you'll never stop being pissed off, you know? Like I and said, I, that's, like I got I said, a lot of judge Judy to watch, so I don't have time to be angry and bitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I think I told this to someone, but um, over the past couple of years, I've just been watching cartoons, like old cartoons that I've watched like billions of times that I already know the beats that I already know everything <laughs> that's going to happen. Right. So it's like, Cause I'm like, I want to be as willful. And I've told this to my therapist many times. <laughs> like, I want to be as willfully ignorant as possible. And yeah. I know that people are going to come up to me and say, well, you know, you're just sitting down doing nothing and blah, blah, blah. It's not healthy and whatever. But yeah. It feels I, and I want to go like, have you seen the fucking world we're yeah. living in? Yeah, like, it's true. <laughs> you know? It's true. It's nice to escape, you know? It really is. It, it feels really good. I mean, every time there's an election cycle, I get so plugged into it and so angry and brittle and fragile. And, and then I, and then it's over. And then I refuse to, to engage in any of it because, you know, it's the news media is very much like what we're talking about when something is successful and gets eyeballs, everybody jumps on that, which is why you'll see a story about a plane crash. And then all of a sudden the news is like, there was an almost a plane crash. It was a very close call. They'll start reporting on it because it's in the zeitgeist and people want to see it. And so now that the tenor of uh, the tension in this country has changed, now there's, they, these stations aren't getting the, the, the eyeballs like they used to, you know, you don't constantly refresh if you're not irritated, you know, if you're not frightened, you're not going to watch obsessively. So now this push comes to try to make you scared. And then that's when I unplug completely and you get fundraising, even for things that you believe in that are, you know, in the email that are like, you know, we're almost, this is, we're one point away from, you know, and it's like, I don't leave me alone. I'm tired of being afraid. 
And that's when you watch Judge Judy or in your, or in your case, cartoons. So yeah, it's a bomb. It feels good. I'm with you. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree with you because it's, I'm, I'm just so tired of, especially Twitter. And I know I, I've said this before, yeah. I, I, like, look, the only reason I'm on social media is to, to promote this thing, to promote the podcast. Yeah. And that's it. Like, I really hate social media because I will have, you know, I will fall off the wagon and start tweeting out yeah. complete nonsense because, and I, and I, and I feel bad for falling into that trap where yep. it's like, yeah it shows you stuff to get angry about. It's like, yeah. it doesn't show me anything positive. It just shows me shit. No, to get because angry people about. don't get, don't obsessively refresh and read at positive things. They look at it and go, Oh, that's great. Maybe they'll forward it. And then that's over. They're not going to, you know, look for more of that kind of story. So as much as people say, I want, I just want uplifting news. They really don't. You get more dopamine from arguing and stuff. And so, and in fact, the way things are written, it's, you know, every, every story ends with, what do you think? you know, or there's a question mark because if they can goad you into, they throw out some inflammatory, it's really like how talk radio is. They throw out an inflammatory concept and then they, they hope they want you to call in and actually do the show for them. And it's the same thing on, you know, on the internet, it's all into inflame you because every click, every argument you get into is another fraction of a penny of a penny of a penny. So that's, you know, when, when, when the internet first started to become a thing, like really took hold, I was working in advertising and everybody was saying, how are we going to monetize this thing? How are we going to monetize the internet? Everything's free. How are you going to make money on it? And then, so for a, a while, the, the answer was porn because that was pretty, you know, uh, reliable and people that's where that's the only people making money in the early internet was porn. And then somebody somewhere realized that more, more lucrative than that was rage. So the internet monetized our rage and it's it's really kind of funny to see this machine that was created for the purpose of being the repository of all human knowledge being used to make money by spreading disinformation it's a it's a really weird you know years from now when our society is well maybe not that many years but years from now when our society is completely collapsed and someone looks back on this some sort of sociological archaeologist looks back on it they'll say the fuck were those people thinking <laughs> we used to rage in, against the machine but we never thought that the machine would rage back <laughs> yeah or that that's what people that's how people make their money you know it's the same thing everywhere you look there's a i mean this is a depressing conversation but everywhere you look that there's the destructive things are making the most money you know polluting things and raging things destructive things, violent thing, all the stuff that's the worst is the stuff that's making the most money. So who is motivated to not do it? You know, who's, who's motivated to create a society that's not divided when being divided is so lucrative. So we're fucked is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's yeah. why, you know, I was like, I was hesitant at first to, to reach out to you, but it's like, look, everything sucks right now. Yeah, it's true. And, and like the worst thing you can say is no. And I've gotten no before. And it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but the fact that you came on again, thank you so much because sure. My pleasure. I, I thank fucking you. needed this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I needed comfort. I needed like, you know, reassurance that hey, you know, we might be living in a in a hellscape, but hey, you know, April Lunchill is still doing <laughs> thank you i'm happy to be that for you that's very that's very flattering 
Yeah. I mean, listen, if I, if anything that I do creates any kind of comfort for anybody, then that's, um, that's a gift, you know, that's really a gift. The idea that people just lose themselves and stuff like this to forget how awful everything is that, you know, the more you do it, the more you think, Oh, I guess maybe I am making a contribution of some kind. So that's very flattering. That makes me feel good. Yeah. And, and I'm not, and I'm not saying this to be like, you know, it's not to be like, Oh, you know, you're just saying this because blah, blah, blah. No, I, I, I really mean it. I, I, I think you. that, you know, nowadays everyone is disingenuous and everyone has this fake positivity that I cannot stand. And, it, and it's, it's toxic. It's, it's toxic, fake positivity that, that, you know, where it's like, Oh, if you're quote unquote friends with someone, you know, you don't want to, get on their bad side, don't want to say anything that might, you know, you know, uh, he uh, caused debate or whatever, but it's like, mm. you know, we're not challenging ourselves anymore. We're not like, I feel like it's impossible for people to have actual conversations in, in, in this day and age because everyone is either arguing or everyone's being fake positive towards each other. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's very hard to have it's hard to have real honest communication if you're feeling vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? If you, if you talk and everybody is feeling vulnerable because the world is just like on fire, you know? So it's a very scary time. This is a really creepy timeline to be in. And it's very hard to be genuine because, you know, uh, you say something real and somebody doesn't like it. And it's just more, it's more terror, you know, and more isolation and more, it's only takes so much, you know, so you're either cordial. So you don't upset anybody or you've just, you're just fucking over it. You just, this is, and you've, and you have found a, uh, a group of people to align yourself with who are also really hostile, you know? So that's kind of, it's all about, it's just fear. It's just fear-based because everything's so terrifying. You know, it's hard to be yourself when, when you have something to lose. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it sucks that knowing that I can't, I mean, I got into a, a weird thing. I got like a, this weird email about, you know, we got into a little spat with an artist over a commission and, and I'm like, dude, like, are you that, you know, did, did my criticism upset you that much that you're, yeah. that you're sending me emails saying, Oh, well, I saw you liked uh, this on Twitter and criticizing oh, me. And it's like, fuck right off dude i don't like how get off your high horse please you know it's yeah it's well i got off of facebook like eight years ago i just was like you know what that's really a shitty toxic place and it's also a pyramid scheme you know when you think about it you have to bring your readers to your content and you have to pay them to show your content to the people that you brought there and they make ads on your page. And the whole time they say, you know, you can't really have a business without this. It's a really awful thing. Not to mention all the way that they've, you know, like spread disinformation and meddled in elections and things like that. But the idea of being so invested in likes and thumbs up and fake internet points and stuff, that really, the thing that really creeped me out about Facebook that got me off of it for good is that you can if you've got a friend, you know, quotes, if you've got a friend on Facebook and you don't want to see them or talk to them anymore, you don't, you can unfriend them without them knowing it. That to me is like, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? It's like, I want to keep this fake connection with you, but I also don't want anything to do with you. That's like, you need a, you need a machine to do that, to be phony with people. So that was like, well, this, there's nothing real here. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. 
it's it's so funny that you know a lot of people build their entire brand off of oh internet is censoring these ideas and blah 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 but meanwhile they're paying facebook all this money to run their own fucking yeah. ads on, on yeah. it. and it's like god yeah and you know honestly if you're truly viral you don't need it you really don't when when i did regretsy and i got you know all those 92 million hits in 72 hours. I didn't have a Facebook page. I didn't have one for weeks. And then someone said, you should get one. I went, oh yeah, I guess I should do that. I didn't have a Twitter. So like if, if something's really viral and really successful, you actually don't need it. You don't need it. So it's just a lie. I remember one time I was driving in LA and I saw like one of those signs on the highway with the, it's like the letters are spelled out with lights that say accident up ahead or whatever. And it said, like the, like the California Highway Patrol on Facebook. And I thought, why? Why would I like the why? Why? You know, it's just a weird pandering for I don't, I don't know. It's very I just I'm out, I'm out of it completely. I don't I don't do Twitter, I don't do Instagram, I don't do any of that shit and it's uh it's be- it's better for me, you know. Any relationships that you kind of make through that are all artifice. They're all for a show. Nothing real comes out of it and it's just feels real toxic to me. That's why I get I got so sad when someone I had on the show like back in 2019 was like, oh, I deleted my Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. Got, you know, back on Twitter when they booked like a really big role in a video game. And I'm like, you were supposed to be better than than us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree with you. Like, I agree with you. You and I hate that. And I've had people on the show who who like had no interest in social media, but like were pressured into it, almost bullied into it. Yeah. It's like, oh, you yeah. have to have an Instagram. You have yeah. to have a Twitter. And it's like, what happened to the days when actors were judged on the quality of their fucking work? Well, you know, you, you, there's a part of being freelance, which actors are the way you've got to promote yourself, you know, and you've got to be out there and you've got to be visible. So I get that part of it. But the platforms that we've created for that are so dreadful and toxic and personal and hurtful that you, it's, you can't disentangle from the f- flavor of it, you know? So you're promoting yourself on platforms that are just full of ugly, you know, dishonest, divisive rhetoric. And now you're part of it. You're, you're, you're bringing people to it and making them money. And there's just no way out of it, you know? I mean, I remember I'm young and I'm old enough to remember that when I was, you know, when we were first starting out, you did postcards, you know what I mean? Your agent would do a postcard that said, you know, our client, April Winchell's and Roger Rabbit. And there'd be like a picture of you smiling and they'd send it out to people. And that's how you would get work. You know, that's how you, or they put an ad in variety and that's how you'd get work. And um, it's just totally different now, you know? I mean, people are picking people up off of Instagram and giving them shows. That's where people are harvesting from now. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a changing thing and you can participate as much as you want to, but it's, it's not great. Yeah. And I, and I hate that. I really do. I, I really hate the fact that if you're, if you're someone who created something and you want to promote it, you have to traverse this mm. awful hellscape that is social yeah. media to, to just try to get someone to listen yeah, like just someone, you know, I don't, you know, I don't care about, you know, how many downloads or likes or any of that shit. Mm-hmm. I usually just like, Hey, here's the thing I did. You can listen to it. 
and mm-hmm. you can tell me it sucks or you can tell me it's great or I don't care. You know, I just did it. Well, that's, that's <laughs> how it's supposed to be. You know, that's how that's cause it's made, it's being created from uh, passion and, and enthusiasm. It's not, it's not um, dependent on external validation. It's something that makes you happy. And so that you can feel that in the work. You really can. If you do something to please people, it's just, there's something wrong with it. You can feel it. You know, and I always say, like in advertising that they, they would keep want, trying to water down. We want to stand out. We want to break through. And then you do something kind of edgy and they're like, Oh, we can't say that. You got to fly, you know, fly all the edges off of that, you know, till you got nothing anymore. And I used to always say to them, you know, not everybody likes vanilla either. So you can't ever please everybody. And when you start doing that, that's, you know, that is anathema to creativity. That way lies madness. You, you can't do it. You can only please yourself. That's it. That's really, I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but that's really true. You can only please yourself. That's it. That's the only voice that you have to answer to. Otherwise you, you'll just make shit. No, I totally agree with you. Cause I used to work at an ad agency and like some of the pitches were just so God awful. <laughs> yeah. What did you do at an ad agency? No, I mean, I was just in charge of like, um, God, it's been so, so long ago. This was like, did you write? Before. Did you do art direction? Were you an account executive or what? Uh, was I your... was, um, I was research and, uh-huh. and they would ask me like, uh, we need research on this. What are the hottest trends or whatever? Yeah, it yeah. Is like, and I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, if, if an ad is good, people will respond to it. It's like, no, right. no, we need market research. We need this. Yeah. We need that. It's yeah. like, you're just like taking numbers. It's all numbers. It's all fucking mm-hmm. numbers. And I hate mm-hmm. it. Advertising is a really interesting, interesting industry. At least it is here. I don't know if it's like where you were working or what country you were in, but the way it works here is that you have a writer and an art director and all they do is create, right? So the uh, most likely the art director went through art school and the writer has, you know, creative writing experience or whatever. And they're just interested in the creative. And then they take the creative to somebody who's got a a business degree. And that person has to go and present it to the client and sell it. So nothing is ever set up to work. The fact that an ad is ever good is a mistake. You know, something slipped through the cracks. Because people who are terrified and only care about the business aspect, take it to other people who are terrified because they need advertising, but they're scared to give you a million dollars to do it because, you know, what, what if you fuck it up? So everybody's terrified and they keep fucking up your work. And by the time it gets sold, it's like, you know, wallpaper. I don't, I don't know how good ads get done at all. It's crazy. I think, I honestly think it's just a goof. Like it's I just- think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. Like and then just- you work someplace like Shia Day, which is where I worked. And they've got this great reputation of being you know, super edgy and interesting. And they do all this great work and they'll come into your office and they'll say, and and the clients will go to them because they want to feel better about themselves. And look, we have a really edgy agency and they'll come into your office and they'll go, we need this commercial done. Client wants to be edgy and crazy. So go nuts. So you make this great commercial and you bring it to them. No, we can't sell that. No, we can't sell. And then they keep watering it down watering it down. And at the end, it's like garbage, like a coupon. And then they come into your office and they go, yeah, better luck next time. So like you fucked up. It's just the most, it just spits you out. It's such a hard industry. Oh, it, it, I just, I got so sick of it and it doesn't help yeah. that they were, the, the agency I worked at was just too late to, 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 to really, mar- to, uh, what was it? Um, they weren't, they were still doing like um, 
prints for billboards and i'm like who looks at billboards yeah. anymore like what <laughs> you know yeah everything's online nowadays yeah and even then, it's like, what? What is even the point of ads online when everyone has a fucking ad blocker anyway? So it's like, yeah, yeah, you got to keep changing, or you're you're screwed. I mean, I, when I first started doing advertising, we were doing sixties. We were doing sixty minute television commercials. I mean, I, you know, I, I never, I never see that. You know, now it's all like fifteens or fives even. And even that, you're like, can I skip this on YouTube? It's like three seconds in. Skip ads. Yes, yes, yes. So. Yeah, everything keeps changing, so you have to keep reinventing. Well, it's 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 especially annoying when I'm trying to listen to like music to to drown <laughs> to drown out, and then like an ad plays, and I have to like wake up, and it's like ah, go away. Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. Well, somebody told me once that advertising is just about creating interruptions, and I thought that was such an interesting concept. So that they said, you know, so you've got to be really likable and engaging because you're interrupting people. I thought, well, that's a really that's a really good observation. Yeah, we know you're enjoying this show, but let's. Here's a word from our sponsors. <laughs> we're going to put a stop to that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. it's, it's especially bad in in the U.S. where it's like they have so many goddamn commercial breaks, and I'm like, is this really necessary? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. It is. Like we it's have everything like, so fucking expensive. Like they have ads before the show. Mm-hmm. After the fucking title sequence. Yeah. And then, you know, after the first act, second act, fifth act, yeah. whatever. It's like, oh my goodness. No wonder people start pir- started pirating shit online. If this is the yeah. case. It's a combination of like greed and overspending, you know? So like I, I read somewhere the other day that to get something greenlit, you have to add like hundreds of millions of dollars to the cost because of the promotion that you have to do. So they have to look at something and say, this is going to, this is going to make, you know, X number of millions of dollars. And that's why little things can't get made, you know, like even famous people, even people like will have a screenplay or a little movie that they want to do that they can do for like $2 million. And you take it to a studio and you say, this is pennies. I can do this with these. And it's passion project. And we all want to do it. And then they'll look at it and, and you'll think, oh, well, they can sell that. They're big stars, right? And then the studio will go, well, we have to add 200 million to this because we have to promote it. Yeah, I can't do it because it won't make that much. So, you know, everything's sort of driven by cost and you, don't, you just don't get passionate stuff anymore. You get stuff that seems like it's going to be successful. That's cookie cutter and easy and it's a shame. That's why it's like shows that last a lot longer than 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 three seasons nowadays is the safe bet it's mm-hmm. the okay we can create x amount of episodes for this thing because it's cheap and inexpensive and expensive mm-hmm. and you know we can run it forever basically right and oh we can we can we can green light a movie as well to you know mm-hmm. generate interest you know and it's just there are so many good fucking shows that have come and gone that, that there's too many yeah, that, that, there's too much. We're we're at that place where there's too much content. It's overwhelming. I don't want to watch anything anymore. I just want to watch Judge Judy. I can't. I don't want to get invested in anything because I'm like, well, is this this? Well, I've only got so many hours, you know, and I don't. I can't pick. It's too much. It's yeah, no, actually, we're actually got too much content right now. Yeah, it's it's oversaturated, and and I've said this yeah. many times before. I'm like, I I can't fucking wait for the streaming bubble to to burst. I really can't. I don't know if it will. You know, I don't know. Steve Martin, his production company is called 40 Share Productions. And that was back in the day when he set it up. 
there was like four channels, five channels and some maybe cable. And what that refers to is that a good rating for a TV show was a 40 share, which meant 40 million people were watching it. Nobody gets that anymore. It's so naive when you think about it now, you know, that that was a benchmark of success. It's, there's way too much. You're just fracturing and cannibalizing your own audience. They can only watch so much stuff. Nowadays, TV shows are lucky to get like 500 viewers, much less. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think, I think network television is about to disappear. I think once they lose sports, they have nothing left. You know, they're not competing and just, you know, I don't get sad when things are over. You know, people say, we're going to save this institution. I always think, why? Why? People get really like panicky that everything has to stay the way it is now. And I think it's because they don't like the idea of time going on without you, you know, but uh, I say, just go for it. What, I mean, it'll, it'll evolve. Some things will be good. Some things won't, but don't, you know, don't stand in the way. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like you can sit here and, and, th- and that's, that's my problem with nostalgia in general is that. Oh, I hate nostalgia. I'm yeah, glad you said that. Yeah, no, that's my problem with nostalgia in general is like, yeah, it, 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 people, have this fondness for all these things that they grew up watching as kids. And, and it's like, it's always, Oh man, nothing is as good as it was back when I was yeah. a kid. And it's just like, it's all nonsense. And now because of that mentality, studios are starting to think, huh, people like this thing from 30 years ago. Let's right. try to recreate that. And yeah. you get awful shit because of mm-hmm. it. Because yeah. no one wants to move forward anymore. And now it's like, <laughs> like the like the Chips movie, for example, right? Like a horrible TV show that people remember. That's that happens a lot. Like bad TV, bad sitcoms, shit that gets made into movies with new Twenty One Jump Street was they made a movie out of it. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's garbage. You know, but it's it's the the problem I had with the newest Spider Man movie. It's like you basically just gave up after two movies and said, well. People like, you know, those old Spider-Man movies. What if we bring back all the people from the old Spider-Man movies? Well, but that, have like, you seen the the ratings like on Rotten Tomatoes? It's like 99. I mean, it's hugely successful. So people liked it. So expect to see a lot more of it. Yeah, I know. I know. Because it's the world we, <laughs> the world we so live in. <laughs> <laughs> like... It's like, oh, no, it's it's totally good. It's, it's totally not... It's, you know, they, they totally needed to have all these characters in the movie no one and i mean fucking no one was clamoring for the return of jamie fox's electro and if you are you are a liar spoiler alert <laughs> should edit this out spoiler alert for someone who's on the promotional material and the trailers <laughs> and all that stuff <laughs> oh man like it just creating all this like star wars is another good example like the last movie rise of skywalker is just oh god it's like we're just gonna take everything that the fans know and we're just gonna shove it in there it's like hope it works (laughs) yeah yeah well i wouldn't want the responsibility of of green lighting stuff but but they always it's always given to somebody who's you know that responsibility is always given to somebody who is looking at it from a financial standpoint but because i guess they have to but uh I always wonder what would ha- what we would get if we put creative people in charge of creative product, you know, 
I don't even mind if something's bad. If it's adventurous, but it didn't work, I still like it. I like that they took a shot, you know? And I wonder, but I guess that's, you're not really allowed to do that if you've got shareholders and all that stuff. But I often wonder, like, what, what would creative product look like if creative people were in charge of it? I know that's, that's a radical idea, I know. Oh, that will never happen because then now sometimes sometimes it does, and then you get something really special, you know. But that's that's why it's special. Did you see White Lotus? No, I haven't. It's a series on HBO, and I just watched it the other day, and it's fucking amazing. And it's one of those things that's like we were talking about before, like mother, you know, the necessity being the mother of invention, right? Like I'm just going to try this. So they had this opportunity where they needed content. HBO needed content. So they reached out to this writer and I can't remember what he, oh, he wrote School of Rock, I think, and some other stuff. And they said, we need a series and it's got to have a, like an ensemble cast and be shot in one location over a short period of time. So he wrote this series, I think like eight or 10 episodes that took place in a hotel in like Hawaii or some tropical paradise. And they shot it in a hotel and they took a week to shoot it. And it's fucking amazing. So you know, sometimes when they get out of the constraints that they think they have and try something else, you just get amazing shit, you know? And, uh, I, I just, I find that so inspiring. That's why I'm like a huge fan of Adult Swim because like they were the only oh, yeah. channel that th- there was no idea too stupid for them. They were like, mm-hmm. go for I it. love that. I love that. Like, I go love for that. it. Yeah. Like, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, go for it. Animated yeah, poorly. Great plots yeah. make no sense everything yeah. is terrible go for it you know? yeah it's great and the old stuff too like home movies do you remember that oh i love i don't know if they still so run much. it but that was great yeah i love stuff like that it's really good <laughs> i love home movies it's like crude animation character yeah. designs that aren't aren't quote unquote appealing to a wider yes. audience it's like yeah it was funny <sighs> yeah but I love that. Like, I like, I like stuff that's low budget and like you give somebody a, me, like for me, example, you give me a, a clean sheet of paper and say, go nuts. I'm completely paralyzed. But if you give me problems to solve, like we can only have this much money. We can only shoot it in this location. We can only uh, use two people. We only have this much money. I, that's really exciting to me. I really like that. You know, try to be as creative as you can within the confines of um, you know, and I think you get like white Lotus is a really good example. You get great stuff that way. I don't think anybody would ever thought to do a series in a hotel like that. And it was so good. So yeah, I think that's great. The problem is when something becomes too successful, other, other, uh, studios are going to be like, well, yeah. we're going to try to recreate that success, but it just doesn't yeah. work out. Absolutely. Or they'll say that was so successful. We're going to bring it back next season. And now you have three times the budget and you can go all over the world. And now it's not the same. So yeah, (laughs) there's not a lot of shows that are great all the way through. I don't think, but, but some, some are, but those are usually the ones where the creative people have the most control. Oh, I'm I'm still to this day shocked that Breaking Bad was as good as it was. Oh really. my God, what a show! <laughs> what a show! I have a beautiful oil painting in my house of uh, Gustavo on the um, scaffold, looking down at uh, Jesse Pinkman and uh, Brian Cranston wearing those uh, orange suits with the goggles and everything. Beautiful painting. I got it on Etsy. It's like gorgeous. It's so, I got to send you a picture of it. It's really, it's like 
so painterly and beautiful. It's such a weird subject, but I, man, I love that show. I loved it. Oh, it's, it's so funny you mentioned him because he was Phantom Blood in, in DuckTales. It's <laughs> so <gasps> that was such a, we, we had a, um, a viewing party for the season or the series finale. And um, we're all like on Zoom. And, you know, I don't know who's in it because, you know, you don't work with them. Right. So it starts, I'm, I'm like looking at all these pictures, like Bobby Moynihan. I'm like, Bobby Moynihan's in this? And then Lin-Manuel Miranda, I was like, oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's in this show? Because you never see anybody. And I was really, I was excited at that point. It was cool. I, that, that, that you, again, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I can shit talk celebrities being in, in, in animation all I want. But at the same time, it's like, hey, if an actor understands the material and they're having fun with it go for it yeah you know i'm not against the idea of like i'm not going to be like oh well celebrities should never be allowed to voice act i'm like i don't feel like that if they're good if they're good and really bringing something to the table i have no objection but you know when renee zellweger is making ten dollars to ten million dollars to be an oven mitt then it's like what the why and then in fact that was a big problem for disney back in the early 2000s, they had two big piles back to back, Treasure Planet and Atlantis. And they both tanked and they both had big stars in them, as I recall. And they were very, very expensive. I think Catherine Zeta-Jones was in one of those. I don't remember. But anyway, they, had, they were very expensive. They had a lot of famous people in them and they didn't do well. And then production all across the board slowed down. You know, like you could, they weren't making cartoons. They weren't making shows. They weren't making other movies. They weren't making direct-to-video. Everything just hit a wall and that was depressing but that's that's the gamble you know i don't know that anybody's ever gone to a theater because Catherine zeta jones was you know playing a puppy i don't i don't think that's ever happened but who knows they try they have to get the parents in too right so instead of the parents saying you know we're going to wait till this goes on on dvd and then you can watch it at home they want the parents to go to the theater and the only way that they can do that is creating something that will appeal to adults and the easiest way to do that is to use a celebrity. I mean, I've seen lots of cartoons where they're talking to kids and adults at the same time. And I love those, right? There's a whole subtext that only adults get. And I think that stuff's awesome. I, I always, I, I kind of find it hilarious that, and I did not know this, but the recent Scooby-Doo movie, the only reason Frank Welker's even in that is because he threw a huge bitch fit and was like, I, I have to be Scooby and, and they wanted to replace him. But he's like, no, I, I am. Why Scooby. would you replace? Oh, because uh, you want a celebrity. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just, he like stood his ground and he's like, no, <laughs> nope. I, I am Scooby. I have been That's doing hilarious. this character. And it's like, okay, fine. You can be Scooby. And, and the movie sucked. So <laughs> it's not very good. So it's like, didn't even fucking matter. And that's, that's another point is like, you can have voiceover people in, in these roles, but if the writing is shit, then who, who give, who cares? Yeah. Yep. That's true. Well, that's like robots. We're, my husband and I were watching that. Like, what the fuck are you? Al Roker is a male. It was just so terrible. It was so bad. And shark tale too. When you look at the end of it, there's not one person that you know in it. And I'm like, well, shouldn't they be in it? These people are really good, but you know, so what can you do? 
Uh, but I, I, but we've been talking for two hours, which I find frightening. And uh, I hope you're going to edit the shit out of this because I know I've been boring and very long. No, swaths. no, no, I would, I would advise editing because uh, yeah, this is, this is, this is going to be one of those tapes you listen to sleep. <laughs> no, it's, that's, it's... that's something else I watch on YouTube are those 10 hour videos of rain falling. I'll just put that on and pass out. Or those those badly that those bad computer generated coffee shops with music playing and people talk and I'm just it's just awesome. No, no, I, I usually like I have this rule where I usually cut it off, I cut cut the episode off by like an hour and thirty something minutes. But April Winchell, nah, nah, you you. I think I think you can find thirty minutes to cut in this <laughs> at least. <laughs> well, split oh, it into God. two parts so people be like. Whoa. <laughs> well, as long as there's content, because I, there's been a lot of complaining. I don't know how much fun it is, but I'll no, leave it to you. No, no, it's it's fine. I will leave so, it to you. So I take it you have to, that means you have to get going? Well, I hear dogs barking, which generally uh, means that okay. they've had enough of my shit. They're either going to start surrounding <laughs> the closet. I have four dogs and when they get, when they can't find you for too long, it starts getting really loud in here. So. All right. Um, no, I, re- I really had fun. and I uh, did too. Thank you so uh, much. Thanks for should- asking me. We should do these more often. <laughs> uh, that sounds great. <laughs> thank you for asking. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you.